0: Hey, what's going on? Welcome to The Doug Show. My name is Doug Cunnington. And in this episode, I talk to Sarah Clow about improving your ad revenue, which is an important topic here in 2023. Ad revenue has been down a little bit. There's a recession, economic downturn, different definitions are out there. But generally, Companies are spending less on ads. So it's great to improve your revenue. It's a good topic overall, whether ad revenue is down or up or whatever. Improving revenue is a good thing. This is an interview from a while back. However, the ideas still hold true. One thing is there there has been some news about Ezoic in the past, uh, few weeks or a couple months ago or something like that, Uh, they laid off a handful of employees and they also ended their affiliate program, which a lot of people were pretty upset about. Apparently there was some chatter on Twitter, uh, which I don't participate in, but in the YouTube space, some of my peers and friends have talked about it. I recorded a video. You could check it out if you want to. And I think by the time this episode goes live, I may have already done a live stream with my friend Alex Cooper at WP Eagle, and perhaps we talked about it. But anyway, it doesn't really matter. The ideas here are about increasing ad revenue. So anyway, I'm going to send it over to the interview here and Thanks to Sarah for joining me for this discussion. Hey, what's going on? Welcome to the Doug Show. My name is Doug Cunnington, and we have a special guest today. And like normal, I am having such a hard time pronouncing simple (laughs) names, actually. So, Sarah, you're here, and your last name is Chloe, right?
1: Yes, that was good. That was great.
0: We practiced a lot before we started recording, and <laughs> today we're going to talk about how to improve your revenue, increase your revenue, and uh, just do well with display ads. So Sarah, thanks for joining me today. Yeah, thanks for having me. Who are you and what do you do? You're, you're from Ezoic, so I'll mm-hmm. let you uh, talk about yourself a little bit here.
1: Yeah, well, I've had a ton of uh, roles since I started working at Azoic about three years ago. Um, we were a much smaller company when I started working here and now we're uh, surpassing 400 employees. So it's kind of insane to see that shift, but it just means that, you know, me myself has been able to, you know, do a lot of different things at Azoic and uh, really understanding you know, how we operate. But um, my official title as of today is the Director of Brand Marketing. So that kind of umbrellas like a lot of things, but um, our, my team basically manages our affiliate program, uh, Ezoic's brand reputation in online communities, um, and then just social media elements.
0: Gotcha. Congratulations. Yeah. So just today you're- Sorry.
1: Yeah. No. <laughs> no, no, no. I just mean like as of today because it's ever changing. Um,
0: Got it. Okay. But yeah. Well, still, that's pretty but cool.
1: <laughs>
0: and how many people were at Ezoic when you first started working there?
1: gosh, I think like 70 or 80. I I know that I was under the hundred person mark, which is really cool. Um, Yeah. And I just remember like interviewing here and I had, you know, when I I graduated college, I was like, I don't really want to work at a tech company because I'm not very techie and I don't know if I would like it very much. Um, But when I was interviewing here, I met Tyler Bishop, who is our uh, CMO. I'm sure that a lot of people have probably seen him around the web. Uh, and he really just sold me on everything to do with Azoic. Zoic. I was really fascinated, uh, with this company and how the technology worked and I wanted to learn more. So I'm still here, not going anywhere.
0: Very good. And what, what was your background in college or what degree did you get? Just so people have kind of an idea.
1: Yeah, I was actually a journalism major. Um, and I really wanted to go into, well, I was interested in journalism, but I was also interested in like broadcast uh, news. But if anyone has ever kind of dabbled in that, or if you've majored in something similar, uh, you know that as soon as you start getting into that, it's not for everyone. I was like, this is very intense. Um, And I think I'd rather go the journalism route, but uh, it's pretty difficult to enter into. Um, So really what I wanted to do is just kind of work in marketing. Um, And my main goal was just working uh, at a company with a lot of really, really smart people. And that's what I found here.
0: Cool. And then are there certain skills that you brought from the journalism background to what you're doing now that maybe people wouldn't think is really helpful or that wouldn't have been helpful, but you're like, Oh, actually I couldn't have planned it, but these dots are connecting really well.
1: Totally. Absolutely. I think, um, the biggest thing, you know, when you're studying journalism or when you're interested in journalism is just uncovering the truth. You know, you ask questions, you challenge statements, you're trying to, you know, find out more information, um, and really, just you know, expose transparency on whatever it is um, that you're reporting on as a journalist. Uh, that's something that I really think that Zoic embodies a lot of—is just kind of finding the truth. Um, and really, I mean, that's what we talk about all the time with transparency and the ad ecosystem. It's super, super complicated. Um, the whole ad landscape is really complicated. And so, something that we've always done at AZOIC is try and help publishers kind of uncover that truth and kind of figure out. Know what's going on, and you know how can we be there for them? Uh, I think that because the ad landscape is super complicated, publishers are often getting like the short end of the stick, where it's like a black box, and they don't really know, you know, the full picture. Um, so, really, everything that we do as, as Zoic is based around you know education um, and trying to reveal the truth in that sense. So, I would say that that translated over.
0: Perfect. Well, that leads us into some of the questions that we have here R- really perfectly. And one thing, what while you're working at Ezoic, um, we're going to try and talk generally about this. So I don't want people to think, ah, yeah. we're just only talking about Ezoic. So these are right. general questions. Mm-hmm. Um, so what are some misconceptions about display ads, just sort of in general? And maybe you could tie it into maybe some of the lack of transparency in general in the industry
1: totally yeah i mean i think when it comes to display ads there's so many misconceptions and again i think it's just because like there is that lack of transparency um one thing that we always look at at least in marketing at zoic is um the lumiscape the display landscape do you are you familiar with what i'm talking about nope It's basically like a map. So if you Google it, it's um, Loom Escape. So it's a map that kind of shows you all of the different ad tech that is in the middle of like the publisher or the marketer to the publisher. And it's super complicated. You don't need to like analyze it. But if you were to like look it up on your phone and take one glance at it, you'll see like, okay, this is a super complex landscape. And I think um, because of that, there's going to be, you know, naturally, so many misconceptions just about uh, display ads in general. But I think the biggest one that we're still facing, and this is just in my opinion um, today, just because I talk to publishers so often, um, is that people don't want to see ads on their website. Uh, is that something that do you ever hear that from people still?
0: Yes, sometimes. And I. Yeah. Act- Uh, to be honest, sometimes I complain and typically it's the poor implementations, which I'm sure we'll get into, but yes, some people are like, ah, who wants to see ads?
1: Yep. Yeah. And I would say like, we're probably all the same. Um, but I think it's just because, I mean, relatively like ads are still New in this medium. I mean, ads have been around forever. I mean, we still see them on billboards, magazines, and things like that. But I know seeing them on a website is kind of like a new, a new medium. Um, and we've just kind of transitioned into that, like recently. I know it probably doesn't feel recent if you're someone like who is a publisher. It probably feels like ages for you. Um, but really, I mean, I even remember like. Hearing my parents kind of complain about, like, oh, those ads that pop up uh, on a web page, you know, they don't want to see that. But um, I don't know. I, I think it is a misconception. I mean, we've done uh, studies at Azoic, we've published uh, studies that have proven that websites that do have ads on them are more credible to uh, a visitor. Uh, this is probably because, I mean, if you think about ads that are websites that don't have ads on them, um, it's likely that they violate Google policy and so they can't show any ads or it's a restricted um, theme it, there's a lot of reasons why but um, yeah I mean there's reports that basically show you know if your' website and you display ads um, it's a credible source and the matter of the fact is that they do rank higher uh, on Google Google's gonna send uh, traffic to those sites because they make money from them so, it's kind of a win-win all around but i do think uh it is an area where people are a little bit more fearful or uncomfortable uh with with ads um but really you know if you're someone who owns a website you know being uncomfortable with putting ads on on your site like that's okay but it always comes down to like the visitor because chances are the visitor is not going to be you know uncomfortable with seeing those ads um and then you make money
0: and talking about the visitor the visitor experience, obviously really important. And yeah. when I was talking about complaining earlier, I try not to do it too much. Of course. no <laughs> one wants I do it complaint. too. <laughs> when here, here's the worst one. And you have probably heard the same example many times, but you're looking up a recipe and you're on your phone and then like a video pops up, there's ads from the bottom, there's ads from yeah. the top. And you're like, what the fuck is going on? Yes. Here? Like, I yes. just want to see the recipe here. Yeah. And then you have to read like someone's life story about how their grandmother <laughs> used to boil peanuts. Yes. Oh my gosh. Whatever. So, and then And the different
1: kinds of like all of the ingredients. Yeah. Where they're grown. Mm-hmm. And
0: it's just an unintended <laughs> consequence of like trying to rank on Google. And I like understand the full picture and it's not right. a charity. They're trying to run a business. So I get right. it. But yeah, what about visitor experience and people that perhaps are really resistant because they don't want to create a website that is just terrible to visit.
1: Yeah. And going back to that example, it's like a perfect example. The reason that, you know, bloggers, publishers who do that, like they do it because they're trying to keep you on the page for longer. Right. So they can get, you know, those, those ad impressions and keep you like scrolling a little bit longer um but yeah i mean that just kind of goes into like a perfect example of like why testing different ad locations is really important like for that reason like if you're on your phone and you're just trying to like get the recipe really quick like that's something that needs to be tested so i think when it comes to like user experience and different like ad layouts um the biggest misconception there is thinking that all visitors behave the same as you do so by that i just mean if you have maybe fixed ads um on a page, so say you have that recipe page, and you decide to put an ad above the fold, like a big ad at the top, uh, and then you can insert some video ads or whatever it may be, and then it's like a fixed, you know, setting where it just stays that way. So then, like if you're Doug and you're just trying to access that, you know, page really quickly from your phone, maybe you're driving to the store and you're trying to look up the ingredients really quick, but you don't have any service. I realized I just made a uh, an intention driving, on being on your phone yeah. while driving. <laughs> that was a bad example. Okay, so maybe let's say you're at the store um, and you pull up the recipe on your phone. And <laughs> that's a perfect example of like, that's where ads need to be tested. Because if you have those fixed ads, it's going to load slow, it's going to jump around the page. And that's where, so- where something like a is going to come in, because what it'll do is it'll test, okay, these different factors, we know that Doug is at the store, maybe not tracking you directly, but they know that location wise, you know, you're at a grocery store, and you're not connected to Wi Fi, you're on a mobile device. Because of that, your phone's not going to load as quickly, so it needs to take away those large ads that are more difficult to load and inject some smaller ads or maybe take away ads, you know, from the top of the page. So that's like something that's really important with just constantly like changing and testing, you know, ad layouts instead of saying, "Okay, I really like the way that my user experience looks on this page." So because I like it, everyone is going to like it. You know, because it's not always true. Um, really just testing for the visitor. That's super, super important. Like if I go to Home Depot and I'm looking for like, okay, why are there so many light bulbs in the world? And I'm like scrolling, I hope that I get, you know, an article that doesn't have like a ton of ads that are a little bit more difficult to load on mobile. But if I'm at home and I'm on my desktop computer, I have a lot larger screen and I have, I'm connected to Wi-Fi, So things can load up a little bit quicker Then I'll get a different visitor experience.
0: Okay, perfect. Anything else? But don't with, be on
1: your phone while you drive.
0: I know. In your example, <laughs> I'm I'm stoned. It's 4:20 when we're uh, when we're uh, recording this today, so I'm yes. stoned. I have a beer open. I'm texting people and uh, driving from the back seat. You know, it's a horrible situation. Anyway, safe,
1: safer than driving in the front seat. but Yeah.
0: So, from the user experience standpoint. Is there any any other thoughts broadly? You obviously get a lot of questions and you hear a lot mm. of things going on. So, anything else, either misconceptions or things that people should consider from the user experience standpoint?
1: Yeah, I just think that you know, bringing it all back. To the visitor and just like running tests. I mean, everything that we do is very data driven. um, So that's why I always kind of resort back to uh, not getting super comfortable with like your site layout as something that you would prefer, like your ideal uh, setup, because it doesn't matter, you know, because it always comes back to the user. It's always going to be, you know, what do they prefer? And when I say preference, Um, I don't necessarily mean like, you know, Sarah doesn't prefer ads above the fold. Doug doesn't prefer ads in the sidebar. So when Doug lands on a site, you know, don't show ads in the sidebar because in reality, we all think ads are annoying. So it doesn't matter like what kind of location preference, um, but really what matters is just kind of like bidding on you know, different factors um, that advertisers are bidding on. So it's going to be those things like the location, the connectivity. Um, there's tons of factors really that it's based on. So I think just getting comfortable with seeing changes on your site and knowing that it's all for kind of the sake of optimization.
0: Perfect. So we're going to get into a couple areas that I was very resistant to accept before I started putting ads on any of my websites. So number 1 is site speed. I love a yes. fast loading site. I get annoyed with ads, um all the things that I mentioned before, and I was like it's definitely going to make it load slower. Which I think, arguably, like we can accept that. Like other things are for little, sure. It's going to take a little bit longer. Yeah. But eventually, I got over it. And can you talk about the impacts and maybe considerations for site speed, uh, just mm-hmm. in general? And is it that big of a deal? To uh, yeah. Basically, it took me a few years before I was like, okay, it's going to be okay.
1: Yeah. You know what, and I kind of feel like a lot of people are the same, um, where, you know, they were really resistant on um, ads because of site speed reasons. And again, like just kind of going back to what you said, like, I totally agree. Um, It is something that, you know, when you add anything to a page, any element that you put on a web page is going to slow it down. And ads are really like no exception for that. So for you as a publisher, you just have to make the decision of like, do I want to monetize this page? Programmatically, um, and can I sacrifice maybe like some load time there? But the thing is, is like the way that things are kind of transitioning and moving is like there's so much better, you know, tools out there than there were even like three years ago when I started working at Azoic um, to just improve your speed. So, caching is going to be like the number one thing, um, at least for us, because you can still have a slow website. Uh, But if your cache is really good and your cache is hitting, meaning that um, caching is essentially your content is stored somewhere so that when someone in a faraway location accesses your website and it's cached in the stored location, then they can get that site immediately without being kind of called back to the origin. Hopefully that makes sense. But if you do have a slow website where maybe you have a lot of elements on a page that take a long time to load, if it's cached, then it's load instantly because it's stored. And then when you go to update your website, then you can update that cache. But that's something that's really important. I I think a lot of people uh, maybe don't know that. And that's why in Azoic we display that cache hit rate, you know, right on your homepage. But I mean, overall speed is something that in the past couple of years has changed a lot. Um, I think Google really tried to standardize things uh, by creating core web vitals. Um, You probably remember pre-Core Web Vitals days when there was like so many different like speed tools that like tested your site speed. Um, I can think of like three off the top of my head and they all had like a different outcome. So like your site could be fast if you plugged it into one speed tool and then it would be slow in another one. And people were just like, what does this mean? Like what is going on? But I mean, overall, you know, all that really matters is the way that your site is delivered to the end user. That's the most important thing. Um, so that's why we come back to caching. Okay. And
0: yeah. then the the caching that, that ties together with the CDN, the content delivery network, yes. right? So yeah. that's the yes. geolocation. Maybe a server's, you know, a hundred miles away, not four thousand yes. miles away.
1: Exactly. So like we have CDNs all over the world. Um and that's exactly how like the content is basically received and like delivered into my browser. So like, say for example, if I'm trying to get to your website, um, and maybe you live in Ireland and I'm in California, uh, you could have your, uh, website basically cached uh, at a DNS that is in California. Probably there is a bunch here because it's California, but say it's in Oregon or something like that, then I would be able to just access that cache version. I get it instantly. So that's why it's really important, but I do feel like you know, when I talked about caching to publishers, it can be a little bit confusing. That's because there's a lot of cache rules that you need to set up. Um, but you can do this uh, in your Zoic dashboard. If you're a Cloudflare user, you can use Cloudflare caching. Uh, there's a lot of options for it.
0: Cool. Okay. The second area that I was really concerned about is the affiliate revenue and the impacts that ads may have. There's a school of thought where, a page or an email or, you know, whatever the marketing tool is should have like one goal. And maybe that goal would be convert the person to buy the product or go, go over to Amazon or whatever. So if you have these conflicting goals, all of a sudden there's decision fatigue, a person may be confused about what you want them to do. So how does this come into play? Uh, What data, if you have some about, the impacts of affiliate revenue when display ads are on the same page and Mm
1: -hmm. everything
0: in that area.
1: Yeah, I'm glad that you bring that up because it's something that has become more and more of a popular topic, uh, especially like in this past year, I think we saw a really big shift when Amazon cut their affiliate commissions because for a really long time, I I feel like a lot of people with, you know, sites that were, you know, focused mainly on affiliate revenue uh, were very fearful or uncomfortable with like doing like a split revenue model site. Would you agree?
0: Yep, 100%. Yeah,
1: yeah. And I do think it's because, I mean, affiliate used to be like super, super lucrative. So for a lot of people, I don't think that you really needed to think about, you know, exploring other ways to monetize your website, Um, especially, you know, with Amazon, they were really lucrative. And then Amazon is as big as it is today. And then they slash commissions to barely anything. um, And people are really frustrated with that. So a lot of people are kind of looking for different routes so we've done a a ton of tests on this um, and published a lot of reports on um, how you can actually you know do a split revenue model site and in fact it's like the best way to do it Um, you can do a strictly affiliate uh, revenue model site and a strictly programmatic site but if you do have affiliate uh, revenue model sites there is a way to find a balance there that you can still make the most with your affiliate uh, links and then also make the most uh, with display ads. Now it does look a little bit different than just having a site that's uh, solely monetized by display ads. Um, and that's just because there is an impact there. So if you have a page with affiliate links on it and the goal for that page uh, is to you know get affiliate sales, then if you add ads to that page, they do have the ability to you know, dilute the value of other elements on the page. But I mean, that's just kind of a given with everything. Uh, if you add social widgets, images, navigation bars, everything that you put on a web page has the ability to like divert attention from the user. Um, so it's just something to keep in mind. But you can absolutely still monetize those pages. It's just a matter of testing and then finding like that sweet spot. Um, so we actually published something uh, a few years ago uh, with our friend Spencer from Niche Pursuits on really finding that you know sweet spot with programmatic ads. This is what I basically always recommend to people who are in that model of like, okay, I don't really know if I'm comfortable yet getting into display on my affiliate pages. What you should do in this situation is set up categories inside uh, big data analytics. From there, you're able to basically categorize your affiliate pages and test different ad densities on that page. Um, and by ad densities, I just mean, you know, different uh, numbers of ads. So say if you want to only put five placeholders, 10 placeholders on those pages and then see how that performs, and then you can make adjustments um, from then on. But setting up categories is really easy. So you actually do that inside of your uh, CMS. So if you use WordPress, which most people do, they make it really easy to set it up. Uh, it's just in your WordPress uh, dashboard and you can go in and basically assign categories to all of your pre-published uh, content. So as soon as you do that, it'll basically, you know, propagate those categories inside big data analytics. And as soon as you do that, you can just start testing. Um, that's basically what we've done for like any reports that we've published on um, testing, You know. ad ad density and affiliate marketing and finding the revenue there balance is always going to win and that's what we always kind of resort back to hopefully that's that's comforting for some people just knowing that like you can just test you know a few ads on those pages and kind of see if it has any effect on your affiliate links i promise the chances are it's not going to have an effect and then from there you can kind of dabble with different ad densities Um, i know that actually matt diggity i think he published a report Um, maybe like a year ago now, maybe two years, but, um, he did a study that was similar on, you know, do ads really affect affiliate links? And he actually found, he ended up making more money overall.
0: Okay. Makes sense. And it sounds like if someone had, let's say they had one or two pages where they didn't want to have any ads on there at all it sounds like they could set it up that way, like an ad density of zero or just like don't show ads on these couple URLs.
1: Totally, yeah. I mean, that's the thing about Azoic; it's entirely customizable to how you want it to be. So if you do just want to put ads on all pages that don't have affiliate links, you can go ahead and set um, max ads per page on those pages that do have affiliate links if you want to do that. That's a feature that we have uh, inside of Azoic, And I would say that a lot of affiliates do do that um, if it works for them.
0: Okay. And I assume that your competitors also have similar functionality. This seems fairly basic, right? So, is that kind of an industry standard, um, just agnostic of what company someone's working with?
1: Potentially, yeah. I mean, I would believe that. I mean, the thing about Azoic is entirely customizable. Um, at a competitor you would probably be able to request to not have, you know, any ads display on pages with affiliate links.
0: Okay. Cool. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It seems fairly straightforward. So I'd be surprised. Okay. Cool. Anything else with considering ads along with an affiliate site or anything else if you're selling your own products? I mean, it sounds yeah. like because you can dial things up and down, it's all about testing and then figuring out what works for you.
1: It's yeah, I would it's totally all about testing. Um and really, you know, I just would like to encourage people to get comfortable with it. Um there is revenue to be missed out on there if, you know, you say I just want to keep this site continue or completely uh, affiliate monetized. I do not want to dabble with any display ads kind of on that page. And I understand why people might feel that way. But again, kind of going back to what we were talking about earlier, um, you know, with thinking about your site and just your terms and not really thinking about the user. Because the user coming to your site very well could land on a page um, and still convert some affiliate links. Um, and there could be ads on those pages that you're getting impressions for and getting paid for. And it's not, you know, diverting them away from that affiliate link, but you're not going to know it unless you test it. So I really just encourage people to do that.
0: There are changes coming for cookies, uh, sometimes, and, uh, to be honest, I I don't keep up with the uh, the current events and stuff. So I get questions on this in live streams mm-hmm. all the time. And I'm like, I'm not really sure. I mean, I'm sure everything's going to be fine. So what changes are coming and what might we expect in the future here?
1: Yeah, cookies going away has been a hot topic for quite some time. Um, in my personal opinion, I think it's really overhyped. Um, and that's probably just a product of you know, journalism and media outlets, they kind of make it a big deal. Um, they continue to like post about it. Uh, and honestly, I do think that a lot of people have been kind of treating it like a doomsday situation. Um, we don't think so. At azoic you know, for us, it makes no difference. Uh, we don't use cookies in anything that we do. Um, and we just don't think it's a doomsday thing. You know, as a publisher. I believe that like having no cookies is actually a good thing. Uh, if we were to go back to like when cookies, you know, first were a thing, uh, they were created by Google and Facebook, uh, to basically be able to track and get any users that advertisers wanted to target and then, you know, give that to the advertisers. So, I mean, that's been going on for a long time now. And because of that, advertisers have gotten pretty lazy with their targeting because they just have cookies that make it really easy. Um, But now, I mean, with cookies going away, advertisers are going to have to put in a lot more work to seek out, you know, those people that they want to target. And they'll do that by finding really good quality websites with really good quality traffic. So, I mean, I think it's more of a concern for the advertisers, for publishers. I think, you know, it's really not a concern, but yeah, I don't know. I would say that one thing is like the whole thing with cookies and and the doomsday effect of it. I think that there's a lot of services or you know whatever trying to take advantage of publishers um and get them really worried about this like cookie list future and try and get them to commit to i don't know some kind of service or, or buy something so i would just say to be wary don't commit to anything and uh don't freak out because it's not it's not doomsday it's not the end of the world
0: okay I'll start using that answer, which isn't that far from, I was like, I'm just not worrying about it too much.
1: It's good. Yeah. Hopefully that's comforting for people who are worried about it. Um, Especially, you know, if you're a publisher.
0: Do you know if those little pop-ups that say, accept all cookies, are those going to now go away if cookies go away? Oh, good
1: question. Um, Because
0: that's another thing I hate. That's worse than ads.
1: Yeah. I hate that too. I, th- I believe that will be going away. That'll probably be a little bit a sl- of a slower uh, rollout before we see that going away. Um, and then there's also like the GDPR, uh, consent mm-hmm. for like the UK region. I think those will remain, but yeah, I would really like to see the cookie acceptance go away because yeah, I'm not they're sure. bothersome I'm and they've sure. gotten pretty creative with their, um, pop-ups it's not just like accept or don't accept it'll be like please don't sell my data on a button or something <laughs> yeah i'm like what
0: <laughs> i don't know what it's a con- like because some of them you can't even access the site if you don't accept yeah. it and i'm like yeah well i'm not I'm going somewhere else. Either that, it depends on what mood I am in that day, or I just accept everything. I'm like, you're tracking me everywhere I go anyway.
1: (laughs) Me too. I usually go for like the no, but if it's like something weird, again, I feel like they're getting creative with their go-arounds. And I'm like, sure, track me, whatever.
0: (laughs) They already have all the data anyway.
1: Yeah, I'm like, yeah, you probably have it anyways. I have TikTok, so they probably have all my data, (laughs) whoever they is.
0: Do you that that'll be a side tangent um in a second we'll come back to tiktok in a second okay so i would love to
1: talk about tiktok
0: <laughs> any um any tips for ad placement the format the size some of the standard questions is that something we need to worry about too much
1: Yeah. I mean, I just always come back to, and I'm going to sound like a broken record here, but just testing as many things as possible. Um, the reason for like why we're so focused in on testing all the time. Um, and by testing, I just mean add locations, add types, add sizes, formats, placements, do it all. Um, publishers will often ask me like, how many placeholders should I put on my page or how many ads is like too many ads? How many ads is not enough? Like again, like Azoic will figure that out. So I say always ten to fifteen ad or placeholders per page. Sorry, um, and I do like to refocus that a placeholder is just a potential ad location. So it's not like you're committing to fifteen ads on your website. It's just giving Azoic more variables to test. Um, but yeah, really just like running as many tests and turning on all of the options for optimization and testing. Uh, in your monetization dashboard as possible. I think that's really important just because the sooner that you do that, the quicker AZOic is going to optimize. And then just the faster, you know, you'll start to earn more over time. And then Azoic, you know, it'll allow it to show less ads because it's really optimized and kind of started to learn and understand your visitors and their behavior. So... My opinion is do it all. Put as many placeholders on a page as you want. Turn on all the ad formats um, and just let Ezoic run its tests.
0: Got it. And sorry, one second here. I get questions pretty often about increasing the EPMV. And, you know, I'm not sure what advice to give people and I'm sure there's, you know, different scenarios. Maybe they've, they've just Mm -hmm. signed up and they're, they're just starting to monetize and it takes some time to optimize and for everything to sort of uh, churn and uh, optimize to be redundant here but yeah is is there anything people can do to make it happen faster or just like raise their epmv maybe they've they realize they're at a lower spot and they hear their their friends are earning more
1: yeah yeah this is so it's a good question because we actually recently came out with monetization scores um, and this is something that became available in uh, Zoic Publisher dashboards just a couple of months ago. So I'm sure while a lot of people are familiar with it, I'm sure there's a lot of people who aren't. So monetization scores are essentially um, our way of telling you if your site is not like, fully optimized. So since forever, you know, I've always gotten the same exact question, like, you know, how can I increase my EPMB? And as someone who works at Azoic, and you know everyone here who works at Azoic and helps out publishers, we kind of had like a standardized like checklist that we would go through a publisher's site and say, all right, you need to link your AdSense account. If you haven't used an AdSense account before, we recommend signing up for one and linking it because it's going to drive up the competition of you know the bids on your ad slots. Um, there's you know tons of other things involved there. Having an ads.txt file, um, having enough placeholders on a page, having this toggled on. So all of these different elements, they all you know attribute to different things, but. Holistically, like that is going to be what makes your site the most optimized and that's what's going to, you know, allow Azoic to improve and increase your EPMB much faster. So we decided to kind of take this internal like checklist of things that we're giving to publishers and just give it to them and put it in their dashboard. So what we did is we kind of gamified it. So, you know, you can go through the different levels of, you know, the monetization scores. You can see the score that your site has. And then you can see what kind of like optimization elements that you're missing out on. So if there's something that you haven't set up yet or you haven't turned on, it'll uh, provide an explanation there um, and then kind of show you like how you can turn that on or how you can do that. Um, but yeah, having having a monetization score of like a 90 to 100 is going to be the best, best case scenario for increasing your EPMB. So regardless if you're someone who like maybe your setup is really good and maybe you're like in the 70s or the 80s, I would go just like take a look at that monetization score, see if there's any tweaks that you can make. uh, And then you at least know your site is like fully optimized and set up to the standard that, you know, an Azoic, you know, representative would set it up for you. Um, And then, yeah, I would always just kind of go back to like big data analytics. Um, What I was talking about earlier with content, uh, categories. I think even if you're not an affiliate, setting that up is super important. That'll help with your, you know, entire content strategy. It'll show you, uh, what topics or what articles are, you know, driving the most revenue for your site. Uh, what articles, you know, cause people to spend the most time on your site. These are things that you really, really want to know, because then you can focus on producing more content like that. And that's ultimately going to drive up your, uh, EPMV as well.
0: Okay. And is that like a checklist that we can get a hold of? I can get the link from you for the show notes and everything.
1: Yeah, totally. It's um actually going to be inside of your Azoic dashboard. So if you log in and you go to the levels dashboard, it's right there. You'll totally see it. But I can send you uh, basically a link that kind of explains, you know, navigation to it and how it works.
0: Perfect. Before mm-hmm. we get to the TikTok stuff, I have a couple other questions here. So Ezoic gets lumped in with, you know, quote ad networks, but it's different. Can can you talk about that, just in general? Yeah,
1: yeah, it's definitely it's still a thing, um, and I don't blame people. I think I, it's confusing. I mean, going back to literally what we talked about at the very beginning, the entire like ad ecosystem is so so confusing. So I understand why people might think that Ezoic is an ad network. Um, but we are actually not an ad network. And that's because we don't provide any of the ads. So what an ad network is, is like a, a direct relationship between, you know, the advertiser and like the website. So an ad network is like a company that connects advertisers to websites. Um, and then an ad exchange is kind of like a Wall Street trading floor is like the analogy I like to give. Um, so you can think about it as like, a lot of different ad networks and they're all like competing and they're bidding against each other for different ad slots. Does that kind of make sense a little bit? Yes. Okay. And then AZoic, So Zoic is neither of those, um, because we're really just a technology. And what we do is we give you access to the ad exchanges, ad networks, header bidders, um, and all the different ad demand that kind of exists inside that ecosystem. You're able to access all of those through AZOIC. Um, And the great thing is like, because you're accessing them through a Zoic, they're all competing, you know, through a Zoic, which just drives up competition for you.
0: So this is the part that I struggle with is, um, it's just, it's shorthand. It's easier, you know, if, if I'm talking to people that are kind of aware of what we're doing, it's easier just to say, ah, you know, a display ad network and they kind of get it. And I understand the soft, it's as Ezoic is a software company. So it's, it's more nuanced than that. So how do you suggest someone like me deals with it? Um, just, I don't know if you have a like great advice or a suggestion or anything, or, um, am I, am I, does that make sense? Like where, where,
1: yeah. I'm, where I'm at. Yeah. I mean, I think, I think it's really common um, for people to think that like Azoic is an ad network. Um, but really, like, we're just an ad technology. I mean, I, I hear a lot of people say like monetization solution or like monetization provider. That's something that I hear a lot. And like, all of that is accurate. I think the only reason that like we as Azoic are like always correcting people for saying, you know, ad network versus know, what zoic is, is just kind of going back to that, you know, transparency, and then building that transparency around like education. Because, you know, if people, again, it's very complicated, but um, yeah, just trying to trying to, you know, demonstrate to publishers, advertisers, anyone who's like part of this industry and this ecosystem that, you know, Having transparency over how complicated it is really will help them kind of be a little bit more, um, on their toes and kind of like stand up for themselves. Because I do think that publishers, like I said in the beginning, they do kind of get the short end of the stick a lot of times. Um, and everything that we do at Azoic is really to help publishers not get taken advantage of, you know, by the advertisers, the ad networks, the ad exchanges. Um, so yeah, I don't know if that helps a little bit, but just for some clarity on, on why we are correcting Sure.
0: Very good. Well, it it totally makes sense because, well, it it is a more nuanced conversation. So if you are just, you know, you're chatting at a higher level, there's no need to like be be as specific. And then later on, you you know, you understand if like the conversation is leading that way or something, but I I can imagine like different areas, uh, things that I'm interested in where I like know really, you know, deep, um, amount of knowledge. But if people don't care about it, then it's kind of dumb for me to go
1: right, <laughs> super right. deep on it. Which there will always be. So. <laughs> yeah. Yeah.
0: Okay. Very good. And what is coming up uh, from Ezoic here in the next year or so, or the next several months?
1: So quite a lot. Um, I mean, Anyone who's been familiar with Azoic uh, maybe in the past year, or maybe you are an Azoic user, um, you would know that we're constantly coming out with new products. Um, And also, you know, we're really focusing on products just outside of like display ads. So we're constantly coming out with like SEO tools. Um, Leap was a really big tool that came out for us last year to help publishers with Core Web Vitals. So really everything that we do is focusing on like streamlining the process for publishers to run a successful business, run a successful website, um, and not have to worry about, you know, the ever-changing, you know, system where Google is constantly putting in new algorithm updates or speed rules or things like that. Um, We're really just trying to make, you know, the publisher's life easier. But I will say that uh, it's going to be a very big year for video. I'm sure that a lot of people can probably expect that just because we've seen that across the board from a lot of different social media platforms and video just seems to be like a hot, hot topic. Um, But it's something we've been working on for years uh, is really rolling out these technologies that are going to help people not only implement like a video strategy into their content strategy, because I know for a lot of people, it's a little bit scary thinking like I'm, you know, focused on writing content. I don't know how to create videos. I don't know how to, you know, outsource a video or something like that. We're going to come out with technologies that help make that easier for you um, and then also releasing technologies that will drive traffic to your website uh, through video without relying on google which is a really really big one because everybody relies on google for their traffic um, and i know that's something that publishers are constantly looking for different outlets for you know driving audience to their site
0: awesome and that was a very skillful way not to give too much information, but I, I, know some of the, <laughs> I know some of the stuff you're talking about and it's pretty yes. cool. So that'll be very exciting yeah. when, when you're able to share more.
1: We're excited. So we can expect for this year.
0: And we could talk about basic though, right?
1: Yes. Yeah. Basic is something that is actually just uh, started rolling out. So I'm sure that not too many people are familiar with BASIC. Um, BASIC is essentially, it, it's very similar to Azoic, but um, it's not as, uh, I guess, robust. So there's no integration, no testing, no optimization that goes on, um, but you still are able to put ads on your website. So I would say that BASIC is more comparable to AdSense. Um, if you're familiar with AdSense or you've used AdSense, uh, you know that it's pretty easy to set up. It's kind of like auto ads. So basic is kind of set up the same way. What you can do is get uh, a script and you put that into the header of your site and then automatically you can just start showing basic ads. Um, It's really, really simple, um, but the caveat to it is it is really simple. So because you don't have any testing or optimizations going on, uh, it doesn't earn nearly as much as a Zoic um, and that's just kind of like The fact of it is, I mean, we've seen that when comparing, you know, AdSense to Azoic. Ultimately, you're always going to earn more with something like Azoic because there's that testing going on. But I mean, when it comes to basic, like I know that there's a lot of publishers out there who have never used display ads before. They've never monetized their site before in any way. And they might just be a little bit nervous or timid to get started with it. So basic is a really good kind of starting point to kind of like test the waters of, of advertising. Um, but as soon as you start kind of like rolling in some income from there, you're definitely going to be interested in like what else is out there and how you can earn more from ads. Uh, and that's where it comes into play.
0: Okay. So it's like you said, it's comparable to AdSense. So really mm-hmm. it's like maybe the first step that someone would go go towards for display ads, but if they're already using Ezoic or a similar, um, more sophisticated solution, they, they wouldn't want to use basic. This is really just the first step. Okay.
1: Totally. Yeah. If you're using, uh, Ezoic right now or anything similar, uh, going to basic would likely be just like a downgrade. Um, if you're interested in making less money, (laughs) <laughs> you could do it, <laughs> but I don't imagine that anybody is. Um, so yeah, if, if you're using Zoic currently, it's definitely not something that you would want to try out. But, um, again, I know that there's a lot of publishers out there who are fearful of integration of name server integration, and maybe they just want to test out, you know, how they can display ads on their website and start making money, um, from it. So it's a great tool. Again, like you said, a kind of a stepping stone a, a starter. Um, yeah.
0: Okay. Very good. Um, Anything else uh, Ezoic wise or basic before we do circle back to TikTok?
1: I can't wait. (laughs) Um, Yeah. I mean, one thing I will say just about basic, um, the website is basic.website for anybody who's interested in kind of testing it out Uh, because it is kind of like auto ads. It really takes a few minutes to set it up and like put it on your website. Um, You can start earning money from it. Uh, I think the thing that's most interesting about it that people would probably like to know uh, is that just from the testing that we've done, it will earn more than AdSense. The reason for that is because we're using Azoic's ad demand. So what we were talking about earlier with like Azoic giving you access to ad exchanges, um, header bidders, ad networks, it's all of those same, you know, ad demands. And it's given to you also with Google's ad exchange through BASIC. So you're going to get better ad demand. Again, it's still like very basic ads because they're injected um, just a few on a page and there's no testing going on. Um, But we have just better demand than AdSense provides. So the thing with basic, and this might be a little bit confusing, it does earn more than AdSense. It earns less than a Zoic.
0: Okay. Somewhere right in the middle. Okay.
1: Yes. Yeah.
0: Got it. Okay, tell us about TikTok. Uh, what are you into? Um, I deleted it off my phone a did couple you? months ago because it was just showing me like, uh, like ladies with not many clothes on, which Interesting. is cool, but I was just wasting a lot of time. But you know the <laughs> algorithm, you know,
1: uh-huh. it
0: really uncovers a lot. But anyway, yeah. So what are you, what are you doing?
1: So how long did you have it for?
0: Uh, I I don't remember. Maybe a month or a couple months or something.
1: Okay. I think that might be why. So I've had TikTok for a long time. I should probably delete it. It's a huge time uh, consumption in my life. It's like distracting. But I'm also someone, do you remember Vine? Yes. Okay. So I loved Vine. And when Vine came out, I was like, this is the peak of social media. This is the best social media. It's better than Instagram. It's better than whatever. It's better than Facebook. It's the best. And I thought it was going to blow up and like just be this great thing. Um, And then Twitter bought it and sold it. And it went away. And now TikTok is really what Vine like could have been. So I think I kind of gravitated to TikTok because of that reason. Um, I was pretty reluctant to get it at first because it was like, it's never gonna be Vine. Um, But I remember listening to a podcast and it was Matt Navarra's podcast. It's called like the Social Media Geek Out. And he was interviewing someone from the New York Times who said, TikTok is so addicting. And this was like a reporter. And I was like, okay, if this person is saying it's so addicting and they said it's because of the algorithm, then I got to check it out. So I downloaded it and I kind of got the same thing where like, I feel like for a couple months, like the algorithm was just nothing, nothing that I'm interested in. And I don't know how it kind of changed and progressed, but now I just get, videos that like relate so much to my life and experiences that I've had just kind of like teasing at, you know, something you've gone through or just, I don't know, it's all dependent on your location too. So if I travel somewhere, I feel like I get TikToks that are catered to that location. So if I'm on a vacation, it'll show me TikToks of like, things to do when you're in Denver, like stuff like that. And I'm like, that's so helpful actually, because I'd like to know that information. So now it's just like a time warp of spending time on TikTok.
0: And then do you create anything or you're just a consumer?
1: I don't, I don't. I'm a little (laughs) (laughs) nervous too. (laughs) Okay. Yeah, I I have not yet created any TikTok videos. Um, I feel like it's a little, it's kind of hard. Maybe it's just because I don't know how. It's probably pretty easy um, to connect it to the audio or whatever.
0: I, I don't know. It, it does seem a little difficult. And I had some friends and they were working on some of the transition videos, you know, like where you turn and then I don't even know how to describe it well, but like you wave in front of the camera yeah. and then uh, I'm, all of yeah. a sudden I have hair, right? Like something like yes. that. <laughs> So they were working on that and it, I mean, it wasn't easy. They spent a lot of time for each transition, like timing it just right and syncing music and all this stuff. So, um, It's hard work
1: for people that do it. I mean, power to them. I couldn't figure it out. I was feeling kind of like, okay, I should know how to do this. Right. Like I'm a millennial.
0: (laughs) I was going to say you're, I'm, I'm getting old now. So I'm like, I don't don't even want to learn a new thing. But uh, I, I may install it again because you're mm-hmm. the second person in two days to say, Oh, you got to check it out again. Blah, it's blah, great. blah. But yeah, it, it, it was a time suck. I was like, mm-hmm. I should definitely be doing something else right now.
1: They have a newer feature, newer feature, where you can now just like direct message any like TikToks that come up on your feed to any of your friends. And that's just created like an even more more because now it's like something's funny or like something relates to one of my friends or family members and I just like direct that to them and then they'll send funny ones back to me and so not only do I go through all the ones that have been sent to me personally I go through all the ones on like my page I don't even know yeah yeah and you know it's it's crazy too because I don't follow anybody on TikTok I like the big thing is like the for you page the algorithm um but even though I don't follow people it will always show me people that I know who've posted on TikTok, even if I don't follow them. I think it pulls that from my, so, my other social medias or something, but it's yeah, weird.
0: Yeah. Oh man. Yeah. Yeah. All the data mining they're doing behind there. Yeah. I, I don't even want to think about that part, but okay.
1: I will say when it comes to like independently creative videos, like TikTok being the biggest one or like Snapchat reels uh, on Instagram, all of that's expected to grow like 40%. I think it's more than 40% in the next three years. So if you look at that, and also just to give you like a comparison, like Netflix or streaming platforms like like Netflix, those are expected to grow 3% in the next three years to give you like an idea of like the boom of independently creative videos right now. So video is just, it's a gold rush. And that's why just kind of going back to like, you know, video strategy and finding out a way to kind of implement that into your, your content strategy if you haven't already it's super, super important and like the time is now um, because I think we're gonna see, I mean, we're already kind of in that boom, but just as someone who's a content creator, um, a publisher, website owner, I really recommend you know figuring out how to start working that uh, into your strategy. And even if it's like outsourcing video creation for your website, or for any of your content to support it. Um, I know that people have done like experiments where they outsource a video on Fiverr or OfferUp for just a couple of bucks, uh, and they'll put that on their website and monetize it and make a ton of money. So things are moving video quickly.
0: Cool, I'll have to work on my dance moves and transition. Yeah, and get, I think you're like in a good, good position.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
0: yeah, you haven't seen me dance, so.
1: Okay, not gonna work well, I'll be waiting for that, okay. <laughs>
0: All right. Well, Sarah, where can people find you if they want to uh, connect? And yeah, I'll just, I'll leave it open. You don't have to give your email address or anything like that. But if people.
1: Oh, no, of course. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, you can connect with me on LinkedIn. Um, My name is Sarah with an H, uh, last name Chloe, C-L-O-W. Send me a message. Um, I'm pretty good about checking my LinkedIn um, and responding to people. Uh, I'm someone who, since I started working at Azoic, I've always connected with publishers um, in different communities. Also, if you're in any Facebook communities, I'm probably in them as well for anything to do with like blogging, publishing, digital marketing. Um, So my name is the same on Facebook. You can add me as a friend or, you know, see if I'm in any of the same groups as you send me a message. Um, I'm always talking to publishers in those mediums. So yeah, I would love to connect.
0: All right, Sarah, this has been great. Thanks a lot.
1: Yeah, thank you.